Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing <laughs> discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got you can get it ground you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own they've got all of the options uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time I don't remember exactly what it is but I think they express post everything so hopefully quickly perfect Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sarah and Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Welcome back to Thomas Lilly's podcast featuring John Sheridan <laughs> as guest today. God damn it. I fucking hate you. Man, I saw the email. It, it clearly said, we it love Thomas. the work that you're doing, Thomas. Yeah. yeah. I hate you. You're the worst. I can't even open this can in furious frustration because I was too lazy to wait. I got a... So now that I've, I've you know, signed up to another podcast account for the Zero... Oh, uh, for Podbean or whatever. Yeah. So I got, a, I got a spam one to my email the other day that was like, Hey, Thomas, just listen to episode two of the Zero Weakness podcast. Really love your attitude towards this subject. <laughs> like, <laughs> make, make it more obvious that you're a bot. Say yeah. you're a bot without saying you're a bot. Oh, that's amazing. I love those things. I get them all the time with like, um, uh, like the subject line will be membership inquiry. And oh, it'll yeah. be like, hi, Thomas, I, I can help you with membership inquiries. But like, oh, you got me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've um, yeah got a few of those. What about the one I sent you? Did you read that? Oh, the one. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't remember the contents of it, but I... Because I was really confused at first and <laughs> until I saw the attachment, I was like, oh, it's the invoice. And then I read it and was like just enthralled by the second line. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. So for context, uh, John bought some stuff with me and uh, I invoiced him. And instead of sending, uh, hey, John, um, here's, here's the invoice. I sent him a copy and paste spam email. I'm just trying to find it. Yeah, I might, I might be able to find it too. Hold a on. copy and paste sham, uh, scam email. Uh, 
request for assistance strictly confidential oh no, um, yeah that's right bakari yeah. tundi the cousin of nigerian astronaut air force major <laughs> he was the first african in space oh this is amazing that was such uh, a good time needless to say the trust respond on you at this juncture is enormous in return yep. we've agreed to offer you 20 percent of the transferred sum I just How love the that? idea like, that someone it, would fall for the fact that there's some African dude who's stuck in space and needs <laughs> money to get home. <laughs> Bro, whoa. Haven't you seen, um, uh, I guess, every generic space movie? <laughs> is, is that The Martian? Yeah. The Martian's, book, a, good, the Martian's a good book. A good book? Oh, it's based on a book. Yeah, yeah. It's a good book. I, like, I, you know, it's cliche to say the book is better than the movie, but I think it is. Oh, so many times it's true, though. Well, it, books are just a more in-depth medium. You can you can explore characters better. You can do all of those sort of things. They also require you to be able to read, so I lose that. Yeah, I've been doing more and more audio books, but making a deliberate effort to read actual books regularly. I have a Kindle, so I like lie in bed and read trashy action fiction before I go to sleep. Amazing. Yeah, it works out. Sometimes I get two words in and I'm like, and I'm asleep. <laughs> why trashy action fiction? Like, why is that that's, the go-to? That's just, that's just what I'm into. I like reading trashy spy novels and that sort of thing. Uh, it just like, there's a, the guy I'm reading at the moment is Vince Flynn, who's just like a fast-paced action thriller kind of dude that, yeah, <clears throat> I, can, I can churn through them without any conscious thought. Uh, and it's just good to turn my brain off with. Yeah, that's cool. I almost had a knee jerk, uh, a knee jerk like, oh, wow, I never knew that. And I, it's the statement I hate the most in the world these days because like the, the assumption is because of social media that we should know everything that everyone's into at 24-7. Oh, man, that's like when people still like three years after I had a child are like, oh, my God, you have a child? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, I for- forgot to send you the letter saying so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. Exactly. To the 15,000 people I've met in my life, did you know I now have a child? <laughs> yeah. The irony it's, is, is that the people who do that to satisfy everyone's desire to know everything are the most annoying people in the world. Oh, the worst. Absolutely the worst. <laughs> hey, guys, I picked my nose today. Congrats. <laughs> Sick, bro. Sick. Anyway, powerlifting. Yeah, that's got to be enough bullshit for one episode, surely. Uh, yeah, so today we're doing none of the work in thinking up topics because, you know, we're professionals. Uh, and instead we're leaning on friend of the podcast, Matt Pierce, friend of the podcast. That's just an honorary title that I've decided on now. Love it. Uh, so Matt's a member of our gym uh, here at Burley. And if you've had your scores added to open powerlifting at some point, he's probably been involved in that too. Uh, so Matt asked if we'd done a an episode talking about the role of technical efficiency and its relationship to volume loads and the variance in volume loads in training and so mm-hmm. because i don't remember what we've done in terms of episodes because i forget <clears throat> these conversations pretty much immediately after we hit stop uh i figured we just do one anyway and hope for the best sounds good to me Excellent. sounds good to me to me this opens up uh many doors that, that, that sort of target the same concept and I don't know maybe we've got very varying opinions on this particular subject um what do you think do you think that uh, that technique truly does impact the amount of volume that you can handle I think it it probably does but it's a hard thing to measure in a short period of time 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I think, and increasing, increasingly, I think a lot of that is, it's like it's very hard to measure accurately between individuals and across a group of individuals because uh, there are so many factors that go into your ability to manage volume in training uh, and therefore making it one change. And this is, uh, I think, true of a lot of variables in training. There are so many variables that you make one change and suddenly it's successful and we're all really good at making correlation into causation and being like, well, he wasn't as technically efficient so he dropped his volume and that's the reason he hit PRs. And it's like, well, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's a hard one to nail down an exact answer, but there's definitely some merit to it as an argument. Yeah, for sure. So a a big thing that I uh, am leaning on a lot is this idea that, um, you know, so, so much of what we do in the strength training world uh, is, is built on this really, really shaky, if not completely incorrect foundation uh, that everyone doing this is individual uh, rather than recognizing that we have far more similarities than differences. Are there, are there individual differences? Yes. Are there outliers? Yes. The outliers are far and few between. There are very, very, very few outliers. So in, in this subject in, in particular, does, you know, uh, technical efficiency, proficiency, whatever, uh, impact someone's ability to handle volume? I would say it can, but it very, 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 very rarely, if ever happens. Like I can, th- I can think of maybe two names that pop to mind where this is really, really, truly a thing. And I, I'll, I'll touch on them in a second. I think the thing that we have to always come back to Um, and you touched on it there in terms of like the many variables that go into training is that uh, so much of the volume capacity that we handle uh, is confounded by other stuff in our training and because of that becomes really hard to measure and as a result the training process itself becomes really self-regulatory so what i mean by that like let's let's take for example the the example that comes to my head is aaron sim aaron sim can deadlift heavy multiple times a week because of how he's built yeah. like he is a true... he's not actually deadlifting it's just like stands next to the bar and suddenly it's at mid shin and it's locked out yeah he, he is a true <laughs> outlier both in terms of technique and build in the yep. sumo deadlift like name three people that you know whose bar locks out literally at the level of their knee or slightly yeah. below you know yeah. you, you won't come up with many people he's one of those people conveniently re- matt pierce who asked this question is one of those people or very close to it <laughs> Yeah, as a result, you know, Aaron can deadlift heavy more frequently. That might be a blessing or it might be a curse, right? Let's just put the same lifter who's the average lifter side by side, perfect squat, nasty ass, gross ass squat, right? If the person with the nasty ass squat is less efficient, right, and uh, creates more fatigue in doing so, it's going to be self-regulated either by the load or by the overall programming structure to the point where they cannot bring as much intensity to the accessory work that follows or the accessory work across the week. And as a result, you're gonna see a net balancing out of this thing over time. Because like, let's say you program for this person, you're programming for yourself and you cannot achieve the targets, the numbers that you've set for that for that week or whatever, that block, um, you can adjust the numbers in the next block and it's gonna self-regulate. Yeah. Uh, it's it, like, I'm gonna throw out a couple of more examples of situations where this happens, uh, but, yeah, I guess, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that, you know, certainly for me, for the most part in almost every lifter I have 
running very, very similar, if not the same volume across multiple training blocks in the early parts of our relationship because it's how I get a standardized response. It, not in that I expect everyone to respond standardly, but that if you don't standardize the the thing that you're giving people in order to test their response, because even if you've got accurate training data for the two years prior to them, that training data is going to be based on different assumptions to the training you're going to then give them because you're a different coach or you're a different person. And so being able to dose it the same initially and and then moderate it over time based on how they respond to that. Because I I know that I have some people who respond better to higher frequency, higher intensity deadlifting and vice versa. I've got a couple of people who currently who like can't squat and deadlift hard in the same week and so we have to run like an alternating sequence um and they're again like you said outliers they're not the people that are the regular group of people who can just go through a pretty standard program that looks basically the same across the board and get good results um i i do think that the individual differences mostly that i'm referencing are things like your work schedule, your commitment to sleep and nutrition, your effort in training, like all of those things that are in some cases a little bit intangible, they're going to have far more of an impact upon your ability to manage training load, recover from and adapt to said training load effectively than your technical efficiency. Like I I certainly wouldn't put your technical efficiency in in the top five factors that are influencing the amount of training volume I'm going to give you Um, because for the most part, yeah, I just, I think they're a bigger fish to fry, you know? Sorry, I'm just tuning my mic in and out. I don't know if you can hear the vacuum in the background. I definitely can. I was trying to figure out what it was. Yeah. I took. I was like moving my earphone at one point to see if it was in the in my office, but it's definitely not. James just picked the most opportune time to vacuum directly outside <sighs> Come on, the office James, door. James, you jerk! <laughs> uh, I think he's. I think he's walked away. So we might. We might be in the clear. Can you hear it? I can barely hear it a little now. Bit, it's, a little it's not bit. as bad as it was. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, he came right up to the door. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fuck, that's loud. Yeah, Jesus. yeah, I, I definitely heard it. <laughs> um, what were you just saying? Training volumes, efficiency. I think, uh, you know, another really big elephant in the room to raise with this is what the fuck is what the fuck is technical efficiency? Yes. Um, because that is such a that is such a gray term. Like, so, uh, you know, this is the, the one of the first questions I ask in the coach development uh, program, you know, I challenge people with um, what what is good technique, and the people always say the strongest, the safest, most efficient way to move for the individual. And then I ask the question, what is safety? How do you measure safety? What is efficiency? How do you measure efficiency? And so, like so many people, as lifters, self categorizes efficiency as the technique that I'm the strongest at. That's not yes. efficiency. That's strength. And yes. so maybe there is a more efficient way to move. And so like this, uh, this, this red herring of like more efficient or less efficient technique has to be universal in order for us to formulate a, a good answer to this, to this question. Uh, to me, it, it's, it's more of like, uh, I, I sit far more in the camp of what I said initially, where it doesn't matter that much because it comes auto-regulatory anyway. Um, and what I, what I meant when I said I was going to take this different directions is like, it's the super common question or assumption with people who run performance enhancing drugs. It's like, okay, I'm a coach and I'm coaching someone with performance enhancing drugs, using performance enhancing drugs. Is their recovery capacity now greater and therefore should they do more volume? It's like the, the assumption that their recovery capacity is greater is not a terrible assumption to make. 
but that's going to be cancelled out by the increase uh, in load that they're going to get from the boost of being on that thing or someone mm. adding knee wraps for the first time or someone uh, coming from a calorie deficit to a calorie surplus like it becomes so uh, self-regulatory cancels each other out when we look at things like that really what's going to impact training volume the most is fitness and when i say fitness i mean specific fitness to training volume training volume is going to be impacted the most by you being good at volume yeah i also think that on the on the drugs thing on the you know the knee wraps or whatever it is i think a lot of people are very quick to change things like whether in like whether for good reason or not everyone wants to change stuff really regularly. Like I've mm. had this discussion with a few people who are still relatively new to coaching, like, you know, have joined in the last couple of months. Like we've had a first six week training block that just went brilliantly. Like their results went up a, a cr- increasingly linearly over six weeks. And I look at them and I go, all right, cool. We're just going to do the same thing for at least the next three or four weeks. Mm. And they're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, well, why would we change it? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a stimulus that is working. It's getting the results that we want. And so what's the point in changing it? Like you're, if you're just changing it as a coach because you need to make yourself seem effective, which is like, it, I genuinely understand that. And I completely empathize with that idea that it almost makes you redundant sometimes. The same thing with like technical feedback. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time just being like, that looks really great. Like don't change anything, just keep doing that. And that's the extent of my feedback because I don't need to tell you anything else because what you're doing is working. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same when it comes to training stimulus. Mm-hmm. So I really like the ideas behind uh, the RTS emerging strategies concepts. Like I still haven't properly formulated how to make that work with like what I do in terms of the more serious end of the powerlifting realm. But for people who are just training for general health and fitness, things like that, like if you're still making progress, just keep fucking going. Like don't Mm. change a whole bunch of variables. And if you have changed a variable, you've started taking a ton of drugs, maybe just like keep doing what you're doing and see what happens. Because like you said, if you take a bunch of drugs, in in theory, improve your recovery capacity, then add a ton of volume to make up for that, well, then you're just back where you fucking were mm-hmm. just with way worse side effects like, <laughs> I- I- instead let's just change one variable or as few variables as possible between training blocks or even training weeks and see how you respond because ultimately like you know what we do is never going to be perfectly scientific because it just doesn't work like that but if you're not at least taking as a coach or as a self-coached athlete some sort of a scientific approach like okay well this is what we did last time this is how it worked here's what we're going to change and here's the logical underpinnings of why we're going to change it mm-hmm. and you don't then have an answer like how did that change the results we got well then you haven't actually learned anything and in the end this is a learning process and coaches like you and i have progressions and programs that we put together that have worked consistently across a broad range of people they're never going to be perfect for everyone but it's a starting point mm-hmm. and if you jump straight into that starting point and then change a million fucking factors because you want to feel like you're an important person as a coach well then you're probably doing both yourself and your athletes a disservice for sure man for sure i i actually have a label for this phenomena that i have in my head and i've never excellent I've never said it out loud to anyone. Good, so I'm this excited. This is the great reveal. World I it, exclusive. I call it Cosmo Coaching, uh, as in like Cosmopolitan Magazine. Yep. Go, go on to Cosmo, look at any advice around basically anything to do with life, but especially to do with something like nutrition. What is the yep. Cosmo diet? It's like meal one, this meal two, that meal three. Next day, all completely different. Next day, all completely different. 
No one fucking eats like that. No one. Yeah. We might eat a little bit different every day, but most people have the same like base eight to 10 meals on repeat. Uh, most people just cycle through them again and again and again and again, seasonally or whatever, you know. Um, this idea of Cosmo coaching, of everything needs to be changing and evolving and, and built around the individual is a coach who is letting the client write the program. Yeah. Like if, if you're not confident enough to be like, this is what it's going to look like for five weeks. Um, the only time where, you know, this weekly approach um, is really, really going to be impactful or really, really going to be important is when there's like a program that's heavily, 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 heavily based around RPE, like yes. very, very little percentage work, or there's a lot of education happening as in someone's new to a programming style. They're not quite sure how to use it just yet. They need to be reminded uh, or they are new to rating RPE, RIR, whatever, and you need to go in and be like, okay, this person is overshooting. Let's adjust the numbers downwards to, to accommodate for this. But once you've got that rhythm and flow, it should be pretty much like, let's do this for this block of time, assess at the end, you know, revise or keep the same and keep going. Yeah, exactly. I think, and increasingly, like the better I get as a coach, the less my programs vary, you know, like the, the more simple they are, the more direct they are in terms of what we're trying to achieve. I'm experimenting with like different structures and different things like that because it, it's never going to be perfect. Like that's the nature of being someone who's evolving the product that you're producing over time. It's mm. never going to be exactly the same. And we've said it countless times. If you're not looking back on your programs five years ago and like horrifically upset by the fact that you ever put that on paper and people paid you money for it, then you probably haven't grown as a person or as a coach. <laughs> but at the same time, if you're changing everything every single week, then you're, you just have no real data to work from. You have no actual answers to the questions. You're just making shit up because you feel like you need to feel important. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same with you know technique feedback and stuff like that where people will come in with like, here's 15 different things every single week. Like, man, I could nitpick the shit out of every single lift that my lifters do. Then they fucking go into the next session and have no idea what they're doing because they're suddenly second guessing every single part of what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a coach, especially as an online coach, I think I've had lifters where it's like, okay, here's three things that I want to address in how they squat for the next two blocks all we're focusing on is this one thing i don't care about the other two things because i know that this is the one that we need to focus on this is the priority mm -hmm. maybe it's how they brace you know it doesn't really matter what it is in this example but the idea that you're trying to change one thing at a time and effectively coach one aspect of that lift at any one moment rather than actually just jumping on every single thing you see and then be like all right well cool you just relearned how to squat this week don't fuck it up next week mm -hmm. and then they come in and just have no idea because they're suddenly second guessing everything they've done um i think the the less you say as a coach the more likely you are to have an athlete who's actually learning and actually improving mm. yeah uh yeah so so many people um who venture into the world of online coaching very quickly uh forget what real life coaching is you know real life coaching in person when it comes to the feedback perspective is very limited and very repetitive like yeah. you're saying the same thing to your lifter week after week after week because they got the same problem as they did last week it's just a little bit better and yeah. so if you're like looking at the the lift as if it's the first time you've ever seen the lift you're gonna write a laundry list of feedback every single time and like, I mean, this is, uh, some people might think this is a pot calling the kettle black because I fucking write novels of feedback every week. But if you dissect and analyze my feedback, I'm saying the same fucking thing every time. And I'm uh, cycling through like, here's what you need to work on. 
you're getting better at this thing, but it still needs work. Great job. You know, it's it's cycling through reinforcing it. It's cycling through uh, acknowledging that it is getting better, but it still needs work. And it's cycling through, you know what? This week you made your best effort and I can see that. Ha- have, a, have a week off, you know, getting grilled, you know? Yeah. Um, because it is, it's literally the same thing over and over and over. And it, it just gets veiled in real life because you, you know, say, hey, how's your day going? How are your kids? How's your yeah, dog? Yeah, you, know? you have all the small talk to yeah. break up the fact that you've just said stay tight 58 times <laughs> yeah, in the exactly. last hour. Yeah. Um, so one other aspect that I wanted to touch on, because I suspect we have similar but perhaps different views, which is just the dumbest cliche I've ever said. But anyway, um, on the idea of like someone who is technically poor and in this instance i want to define technically poor as inconsistent in their approach and execution to a given lift uh the way i would coach someone like that is to give them uh, exercises that i would consider to be uh developmental so like skill-based drills to improve their technical skill and then drive some of the strength adaptations I'm looking for with lower skill, higher output exercises. So someone like that might get less actual back squats and more say like safety bar squats or something where the skill demand is a little bit lower so they can just work hard and and get that feeling of like actually pushing uh, while still improving the technical skill. Um, and that's something I, I sort of do more regularly with newer, less consistent lifters, right? And the logic in my head is also that they're newer, less successful lifters who therefore can deal with a broader range of training stimulus and still see that transfer. Um, but I'd be interested to hear how you approach a similar scenario. Give them to James. um uh my 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 coaching has been pretty much the same for a long time in the sense that uh uh i i very 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 highly regard my own ability to get someone to perform the movements how i want them to perform them very quickly and then complement that through the entire process uh so so very rarely am i thinking as much along those lines maybe along those lines but um uh a little different a a little bit more specific so for example um the output thing with uh the safety bar squats i'd probably just do that with the lift itself but then like you say you know add something that's going to really 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 uh hone in on the skill so if the person's uh, hips and knees and ankles are shit you know really double down on a tempo leg press with perfect hips or something like that um just because you know again recognizing my bias being that uh, the people that i'm working with are invested in powerlifting most of the time uh that's that tends to be the goal that i'm overall working with and even the people who aren't most of the time i'm, I'm working towards strength in the lifts that are close enough to being the powerlifts anyway yeah. like v- very rarely am I, am I not using a squat as the primary um you know squattish exercise i'm very rarely am i not using a bench press in fact i I can only think of two times in the last five years where i've I've had a client that can't bench press and therefore has uh, done machine work and dumbbell work in in place of their bench press Um, over time increasingly less i'm am i working with um, general strength driven people rather than people that want to be stronger for a specific reason yeah so um I have to acknowledge my bias in that because faced with uh, more of those gen pop or general strength kind of people, I would, I'd be on board with what you're talking about as well. Yeah, and I think that's probably, like you said, going to make up the biggest difference between 
our coaching styles is more of the people you're working with are specifically powerlifters and often the higher end of powerlifters where you know it's it's that idea of specificity increasing over time because that's the nature of mm. adapting to a stimulus mm. uh, so the stronger you get the better you are at powerlifting the more you have to do the powerlifting stuff uh, to actually make any real progress mm. yeah 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 um, but yeah, coming coming back to the the, the technical proficiency and the um, the change in and and yeah, the thing that sticks with me the most is like how what what is your yardstick to measure this with? Um, uh, b- because like there there is no gold standard that you're referring to. No, there's there's no textbook definition of what this efficiency is. Um, and basically, what it's reading between the lines of the question, it's really saying well. Um, the percentage, uh, the percentage I'm working with, or the intensity I'm working with at the volumes I'm working with, I'm finding I recover too too easily from. That is your cue to be like add more intensity or add more volume. Uh, yeah. Simple, simple as that. Like it, again, it's so self-regulatory. And if it's the opposite end of the spectrum, it's like the intensity and percentages, I'm, uh, intensities and volumes I'm working with uh, beating me up. It's like we'll drop that back. One of those variables: sets, reps, weight, whatever it may be. I think maybe then it would be. Interesting to reframe the question slightly from technical efficiency, because as you said, that is a somewhat hard to define arbitrary landmark and look perhaps more at like anthropometrics and body shape and size, Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that's something that is, you know, more broadly different across the spectrum of of lifters that we've all dealt with rather than technical efficiency. there's obviously going to be some measurable difference between the volume and intensity that a 52 kilo woman can work with versus a super heavyweight untested lifter who's at the peak of their athletic capabilities, right? Like I think Mm -hmm. that's probably a more interesting discussion around volume, intensity, specificity, those sort of things, because it's actually tangible like you can actually measure the difference and and see the role that that plays in the training of that individual Mm -hmm. are are you referring to like body design as well like limb lengths and lever lengths yeah like i i but i think more broadly strength and size rather than limb proportions and stuff like Mm -hmm. that because in the end i think we can talk for days about the effect of limb proportions on things but realistically i again as a more broadly measurable thing i think there's going to be bigger differences between just sheer strength and size mm-hmm. than there is in the minutiae of like oh your fucking tib fibs like fraction of a centimeter longer than your femur is and so that's going to throw off your deadlift volume and like in the end i think with a lot of that we're just chasing after arbitrary landmarks that justify our opinions on things as opposed to actually influence anything arbitrary is the perfect word because as far as i'm aware there is no chart for this the only and you might be around this but i'm pretty sure the only sport um, that has a defined chart in terms of success in the sporting endeavor for like ratios of limb length torso etc is climbing oh no hold on let me just pick up this book (laughs) yeah Oh, God, John just moved so fast. So, yeah, I'm a fucking athlete, all right? What's uh, the so I'm, I'm reading The Sports Gene by okay. David Epstein. Uh, and I was just reading a bit about NBA players and wingspan. 
Yeah, so the climbing thing refers to wingspan in, in regards to height. Yeah, there's a ratio. Hold on, let me just find it. Um, well, while you find it, like my, yeah, yeah, my, my point talk. is so much of what people say in terms of like my femurs are this, my arms are this, my torso is this, is reverse engineered by what they perceive the breakdowns in the lift to be because of those things. So like, yeah. oh, your femurs are long and your torso is short, therefore you're going to fold in half when you squat. They're like, I fold in half when I squat, therefore my femurs are long and my torso is short. And you look at the person, you're like, nope, just like pretty much everyone, you're average. <laughs> yeah. Like people who are truly, truly outliers in terms of their build. Again, like throw Aaron Sim under the bus, truly, truly, truly an outlier in, in his build, uh, are far and, few, far and few between. You know, there's, there's, not, there's not that many of them out there. You don't see them very often. Uh, certainly not in the sport of powerlifting. Uh, the limb length difference manifests itself in NBA data as well. Uh, in NBA pre-draft measurements for active players, the average white American NBA player was six foot seven and a half with a wingspan of six ten. The average African American NBA player was six five and a half with a six eleven wingspan. Jesus. Uh, so basically, uh, both white and black players in the NBA have a wingspan to height ratios greater than the population average, but there's a sizable gap between white and black players. The average white player in the American NBA has a, a wingspan to height ratio of 1.035. The, an African-American player, the average is 1.071. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's I think one example of a sport self-selecting a particular like Mm -hmm. the success in sport self-selecting that like you said where you're reverse engineering your shitty squat based on your body length as opposed to you just being shit at squats um and you actually being quite average uh in something like the nba the increasingly the push towards professionalism and the money that's involved has over time broadened the gap between the average professional nba player and the average person in society Mm -hmm. i don't think there's enough money in powerlifting for that to be the case yet (laughs) yet he says like there ever will be yeah Um, the the uh, the bitter irony of it is is like if you look at the top level uh powerlifters like the best powerlifters ever very few of them have exceptional builds i mean ed cohen is exceptionally built he's exceptionally (laughs) built but were that the case then uh then he should be really really shit at bench press Uh, but he had no arch and super long arms and was still the best powerlifter because he's fucking strong that's what the exactly and so like i know people who are phenomenally built for bench who fucking suck at bench it's like it's because it's about strength and about uh, you know, or look at Jason Semler. Jason Semler, next to no arch, long, longest arms ever, uh, was the best bencher in Australia for many years. Look at yep. Andrew Cooper, the new best bencher in Australia. Uh, he doesn't have short arms. They just look short because his chest is the size of a small country. Thick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's not exceptionally built for bench either and doesn't use like exceptionally, uh, uh, you know, big arches or anything like that. He's just yep. fucking strong. Yeah. And that's, I think almost the end of the discussion basically you're all more average than you think and maybe you just suck <laughs> get stronger yeah yeah basically it's, it, isn't that our podcast 101 can't we just yeah. record that as one episode for the rest of the oh life? what a way to end you're all average and weak so there we go <laughs> i mean i fit firmly into that oh, category. absolutely yeah guilty, <laughs> guilty as judged don't get me wrong i am happily to le- happily leading the mediocrity wave <laughs> into the abyss but um But yeah, an interesting discussion nonetheless. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy. Thanks, Matt.
All right. Goodbye. See you.